All right, good morning, Victory Life. How are you this morning? It's so good to see you on this beautiful October 9th. I'm Pastor Matt. If you're new here, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, we'd love to have a record of your attendance here this morning so we can let you know some things about the church. Let us know you're here. You can do that a couple of different ways. One way that you can do that is to hop on our website and click the New Here tab and give us some of your information, and we'll send you an email this week to let you know some things about the church. Uh, if you like doing things in person, that's fine too. On the seat back in front of you, there's what we call a welcome card. You can fill that out and take it to our welcome center, which is right out these doors to the right as you leave here this morning, and somebody will be there to, uh, to get that from you, tell you a little bit about the church and get to know you a little bit. Uh, a lot of things going on here at Victory Life, lots that we have to tell you about. We're going to talk about Shine Your Light, which is our vision for the year, but we're going to save that for before the message because today is the first day that we will be sending out some people with Pray and Go, which is really, really exciting. So we're going to rehearse some of that today, talk about some of that before the message, before we release the kids today. So we'll save that for a little bit later. Also, coming up on November 6th, in just a few short weeks, we will be having our latest baptism service. Uh, for those of you who have made a commitment to Christ in your heart, we want to follow the command of Jesus to be baptized. And so if you are recently converted to Christianity, if you have said, I'm going to follow Jesus and serve him with all of my heart, with all of my life, it's time to get baptized because the Lord Jesus commanded it. I wear this ring as a symbol of my marriage. And when we see somebody with or without a ring, that says something, doesn't it? Well, in, in, in many ways, baptism is a way to solidify that covenant that we've made with Jesus. And he commanded us to do it because it, it, it drives a stake for him. And so we just encourage you, if you have not yet been baptized, November 6th is the day to do it. And we'll make sure that baptismal pool is like a sauna. <laughs> Maybe. And so we'll look forward to baptizing you on the 6th. Here's how you can sign up. Head to the website. Click on the banner that you see behind me. It talks about baptism. You can sign up. We'll send you all types of information to allay your fears or concerns. Once again, if you don't like to do things online as you walk out the door today, right about where Dave Davis is standing over there, you can get a baptism uh, sign-up card, and you can drop that off at the Welcome Center, and we would be happy to, uh, to get information to you that way. Uh, third major announcement is our next installment of Growth Track is starting. You hear about Growth Track all the time here at Victory Life. It's really part of our mission as a church. We want to get people to join the story, not just of what Christ is doing in the world, but also of what the church is doing in the world. As we sometimes like to say, the church is God's plan A for the world, and there is no plan B. And Growth Track is a great way to go from being a Christian who attends a church to a Christian that is part of a church. And that's why we have Growth Track. It's a four-week class, goes for one hour. We have it during this first service, so you can attend second service. There's refreshments, but you get to know about the church. If you're new to faith, you get some basics of the faith. If you're new to this church, as I mentioned, you get to know us. We get to know you, and we have the great opportunity to get to get know you even further to the point where you're not just attending a church, but you're part of a church. And that's what Growth Track is all about. Same drill. If you want to be a part of that, all you got to do is find that banner on the website and click on it. And you can attend Growth Track. For those of you who have been at Victory Life Church for 87 years, you can go to Growth Track. You're allowed to. You can find out what we're doing right now and all the ministries that we have going on. And for those of you who have been here for 87 days, uh, that's for you too. So that's Growth Track. One more announcement this morning to let you know about. For those of you who are interested in being part of our youth ministry, you have the opportunity to stop at our youth leader interest meeting in room 305 directly after the service today. Just by showing up does not mean that you have to be a youth leader but you'll be able to talk to Pastor Aaron and his wife Mackenzie about everything that's going on in our youth ministry, and they will feed you, which will be great if you skip breakfast. So that's taking place right after service today in room 305, right down this hall. 
And then finally, of course, today, we always like to mention that you can give to the Lord your tithes and offerings, and there's many ways to do that. You can text to give, you can give online, or you can walk right out of these doors and drop your offering in the offering basket today and say, Lord Jesus, I love you, and therefore I give unto your kingdom. So you can do that and make that a, a priority in your life. All right, well, why don't we stand? And prepare our hearts. And we talked about this last week right here in this service. This is the time when you get to come from your busy morning of driving in to 3833 Hudson Drive and all the things you have going on and say, I know that it is right to honor and praise my Lord. And so I'm going to invite you as I pray over you that you would prepare your heart in prayer and say, Lord Jesus, I'm going to give you praise and worship in this place. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come into this place. We love the fact that we can worship freely. I pray now that we would worship freely. Lord, that you would allow us to take off the bounds of what we would consider human propriety and humble ourselves before our Lord and Savior, lifting our voice unto him, for he is worthy of all the praise and adoration that we can give him. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's get excited this morning. He's worthy of our praise. <clears throat> There's an echoing in the spirit. If you listen closely, you'll hear it. Oh, what a sound as broken shackles hit the floor. There's a symphony in the making. There is freedom here for the taking. Oh, what a sound as broken people are restored. What a sound of your people singing here in your house. Let your praise be loud. Here in your house, let your joy break out. As our voices. It's the same in every language. Oh, what a sound as we unite to praise the Lord. Oh, what a sound. Oh, what a sound of your people singing. Here in your house, let your praise be Shout if you wanna give him thanks. Surely the 
lowest valley, we choose to praise. We have a God who walked through the lowest valley when he sent his son Jesus. Jesus experienced betrayal. He experienced beating and mocking. He experienced death on a cross. He walked through the lowest valley. So I know he can meet us in our lowest valley. Because when he was on that cross, he gave his all for you and me. But it didn't hold him down. When he died, he was laid in a tomb and rose to life again. Therefore, when we walk through our lowest valley, he can lift us out every time. Because he walked through the lowest valley, yet still conquered our sin. He's worthy this morning of our worship. He's worthy of our praise. And as we sing this next song, you're going to see a beautiful picture of who we are or were and what Christ did to step into our situation and our need. And my encouragement for you this morning is if you, if you don't know the words or can't sing them, internalize them. Hear them with your ears and with your heart. And then when it comes time to sing that chorus, let those words that you've internalized come forth out of your mouth in praise. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. a wretch, I remember who I was. I was lost, I was blind, I was running out of time. Sin separated, the breach was far too wide. But from the far side of the chasm, you held me in your sight. So
Lord, we thank you today that for those in this room, there will be no second flood. For the wrath of God that should and ought to be poured out on sin has been allayed by the blood of Christ for all gathered here. Lord, the great ark is your son, and our great salvation is in his name. Thank you, Lord, for all of us who were appointed for wrath to have been brought near to God and given new life. Lord, may we never forget just how much sin matters. Because, Lord, if we don't acknowledge that, we will never know how much grace has abounded. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving our lives for eternity. May we give our present days to you so that our eternity, Lord, shall be spent with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. We are not going to dismiss the young disciples quite yet this morning because, as I mentioned during our open, this is a very special day here at Victory Life. This is the first week that we will be sending out some of our teams with Pray and Go. And I'll explain Pray and Go in just a moment to you, for those of you who might have missed it. But before we do that, we have a couple of representatives of Pray and Go who are going out this week from this very service, and we just want to pray over them. Would you join me in praying over those who are going out, and then we're going to go ahead and, and uh, continue on with our service. So if you're one of the two or three that are going out from this service, we've got seven or eight in the second service, would you just stand right now? You're like, oh, you're making me stand because I signed up for Pray and Go. If you're going out this week, would you stand so we can pray for you? Yep, yep, there's one, there's two, there's a couple more, there's a couple more. See, there we go. So these are our representatives who are going out this week. And so in a very victory life fashion, we're just going to stretch a hand towards these and pray God's Holy Spirit over them today. Would you just pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray for those to this week who are going out into the neighborhoods around this church. God, I pray that they would go in the spirit of Christ Jesus. Lord, that they would be light and life to the people they encounter. And that, Lord, there would be divine appointments that they meet. God, I pray that you would protect them from harm. And, Lord, I pray that they would have an impact this very week for the kingdom of God. Bless them and keep them, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, praying goers. You can be seated. So we said to you three, four weeks ago that we were hoping for 100 people to go out with Pray and Go and that we would have the opportunity to reach 10,000 homes in the next year for Christ. And at my last count, we had 99. Did we break the 100 barrier? 102 people who are going out from Victory Life, so praise the Lord for that. It's going gonna, it's gonna to grow beyond that. It's very exciting. In fact, if you want to go out with Pray and Go, you've been like, I've been wanting to sign up for that, and I keep forgetting. Go to the lobby today as people are picking up their packets and tell Miss Joan. She's got the nifty Pray and Go shirt right there, and she, she'll get you signed up to go out once a month or once a quarter. That's it. For, for just about an hour, we're going to send you out from this place into the neighborhoods 
that surround the church. So, so what's going to happen to these families that are, that are going to go or these groups that are going to go this week or the ones in second service? They're going to go outside of these doors right after service day. They're going to pick up a packet that has their name on it or their team name on it, okay? And there's going to be 30 door hangers in there. And on those door hangers, they're going to say, we prayed for you. We're from Victory Life Church on 3833 Hudson Drive. There's a place to sign your name. Don't sign your last name. Don't have them hunt you down. Find you later. Just, say, just write, your, write your first name. So when my team goes out, that's going to be Matt, Gina, Sienna, Natalie, Cameron, Landon, Nathan, Bella. And we're all going to, Bella can't sign. But anyhow, that's my beagle. But anyhow, we're going to sign them like all of those. And we're going to get a list of addresses in that packet. And we're going to go to that neighborhood, maybe right over here, maybe right up here. And we're going to stop at the first house that we have an address for, and we're going to stand in front of it on the sidewalk, and we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, we just lift these people in this house before you. We don't know them, but you know them. God, we pray that if they do not yet know you, if they do not know, yet know Christ as their Lord and Savior, you would arrange the situations of their life that they may know him. Because no man can come to the Father unless drawn by the Spirit of God. That's what the Bible teaches us. Lord, we pray that, that if they don't have a church home, they would look at this thing and go, I should go to that church over there. And we pray that if they have financial need or physical need or relational needs that they've been crying out to you for, that when they see this door hanger, they would know that you are real and you are for them. Amen. Something that simple. And then you go and knock on the door and give them the Romans road. No, I'm kidding. You don't do that. You don't knock on the door. You send the youngest and spryest person on the team to their door, and they leave that beautiful little door hanger. And they know that people had prayed for them. And it says on the back, if you have further prayer needs, just let us know what we pray at vlchurch.com. And our prayer meetings, our Monday morning prayer meeting, our Monday night prayer meeting, our Tuesday afternoon prayer meeting, will pray over every need that comes in, and our email coordinator will get back with people and begin a relationship with them. Isn't that cool? It's that simple. You don't got to knock on a door. Somebody goes, I'm really excited to go out pray and go, but I don't know if I'm ready to knock on doors. And I'm like, good, because you don't. You don't. Now, if you encounter somebody on the street, wouldn't that be great? Hey, what are you doing? Well, I'm just here with some folks from my church or my family. We're, we're, we're at that church right up on Hudson Drive, and we're just praying for people in this neighborhood. Do you have any prayer needs? Go ahead. Go for it. If there's a dog, don't leave the door hanger. Don't get bit. Don't get bit for Jesus, all right? Not, not worth it. All right, if there's kids in the yard and you're a bunch of adults, don't go into that house. Just pray over them and don't leave a door hanger. Don't be weird, all right? Don't, don't scare anybody. If somebody goes, no, I don't want that, no soliciting, then don't give it to them, right? You can't, you, we're not going to you know, go and, 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 and abuse people with, with our intentions. But it's really that simple. And churches all over the United States are having great success with this. We're so excited about this program. And we're going to try to hit 10,000 housing units around this church in the next year and look for these encounters. And so I know some of you would say to yourselves, well, I would be terrified if somebody looked at me and said, what are you doing in my neighborhood? Well, good, today's sermon is for you. It's for you. It's, it, we're, we're, it's, it's been planned this way, believe it or not, just for a day like this. But before we go any further, we wanted to keep the kids in here. Now, if you have any further questions about praying, go. There's a whole do's and dis. Uh, do's and don'ts, don'ts and dis, do dis, don't do that. Uh, no, there's a whole do's and don'ts list, I was looking for the word list, right on the front of your envelope, and Miss Jones going to be out there, and you're like, what am I doing? I've heard it twice now, and I'm still confused. She will make sure that you do not leave this place confused today, all right? So hop out in the lobby, get your packet today. Now, if you did not hear from us yet, that's okay, because we're spreading things out. We've got over 40 teams now, I imagine, that are going out. So we're going to try to get all of you out in the first month, okay? 
but then you, those of you who are quarterly, you might not hear from us till January again, okay? And then you can trudge through the snow for Jesus, and we will do that, okay? So if you're quarterly, that's great. If you're next month, you'll get another email, you'll get another, another text message on your week to go. All right, here's the great thing. For those of you who are going this week, go at any time you want. Well, like I, wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest going at midnight, probably not the most effective strategy, but go when you'd like. And, and I won't say that that's convenient. You want to know why I won't say that that's convenient? Because it's not going to be convenient this week to do this. If I know anything about the enemy of our souls, it will not be convenient. Someone's going to get the sniffles. Somebody's going to sprain their ankle. Somebody's going to have abject fear. Someone's going to be concerned that, oh, I know somebody from that neighborhood. I used to date them. I can't pray for them. Okay? <laughs> Whatever it is, it's not going to be convenient. All right? Because the enemy of our souls does not want us to be a light in our community. So I won't say that it's convenient, but you can go on your schedule. Okay? which is just beautiful, bring your packet back next week, and we'll send out another group of praying goers from both of our services next week. All right? So if you want to sign up today and find out more about it, talk to Miss Joan. If you didn't get an email or a text, that's okay. We've got you. In the next three or four weeks, you'll be hearing from us, and it'll be your week to go. That is pray and go. With all of that said, now, young disciples, you may go down to young disciples. Get a message on your level. So we will see you all later. Have fun. Have a blast. Enjoy Matthew 10. That's where we're going to be. That's your cue to open your Bible. If you're staying in the room, Matthew 10 is where we're going to be. All right? My intent is to stop in, the book of Ma or in Matthew chapter 10 two times. We had another message just in June that is the beginning of Matthew 10. Why is Matthew 10 important? Well, because Matthew 10 important is important because it is the second section that we'll be looking at, third section of the book of Matthew, second section that we'll be looking at, and this is when Jesus sends out his disciples onto the mission field. In the end of chapter 9, we learned last week that Jesus said, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into the field. Here in Matthew 10, he's sending them, and he's giving them fundamental lessons on what will happen if they go out and shine their light into the world around them. He's sending them specifically to the towns and the cities of Israel, but we're going to find that he's going to be speaking directly to us today in just a minute, all about some of the fundamental aspects of evangelism, and we'll be talking about those fundamentals of evangelism from Matthew 10 here in the next two weeks. I probably could have spent uh, five to six weeks in Matthew chapter 10. There's so much content that's germane to what we've been talking about here at the church, but we are going to want to get through all of our selected texts by the time we run up into Christmas time, and therefore I'm only going to spend two weeks in Matthew chapter 10 talking about these fundamentals of evangelism. I just ended the, the baseball season yesterday, praise the Lord. Uh, fall ball was getting to be chili ball, and I didn't need any more. But I started with these six, seven, and eight-year-olds with the very fundamentals of playing baseball. I learned something years ago uh, from some friends of mine that said, if you want to teach kids the right way to field, you teach them alligator scarecrow. All right? Now, the alligator is get the glove low and get that ball in there and alligator it, and then you get up into Scarecrow to throw the ball. None of this stuff. All right? So very first practice, we worked on alligator Scarecrow ad nauseum. Second practice, alligator Scarecrow ad nauseum. It's the fundamentals of baseball, right? Because there is nothing more maddening than a light hit ball going right between the legs of a little seven-year-old seven when they didn't get their glove in the dirt. So the other day, we had, we had worked and worked and worked for weeks and weeks and weeks, and I had had enough because we were not doing the fundamentals of baseball. 
So I looked at those kids and I said, the next one of you who does not get your glove in the dirt, you're running. Because that's the very basis of the game, the fundamentals. Get your glove in the dirt and get that ball so you can throw that person out at first, second, or third. You're running. And wouldn't you know the loudest mouth kid on the team let one go right between his legs. And you know what I said? All right, I'm not going to say his name. He's probably watching online. All right, all right. He'll be laughing. So will his mom. I said, get running to the foul pole and get back. And he goes, <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm serious. Run to the foul pole and come back. <laughs> Coach Matt. <laughs> I said, no, run to the foul pole and then come back. If you don't learn the fundamentals, you're never going to do things right. And so all of a sudden, I heard his mom from the stands, Coach Matt told you to run, get run in! I'm like, thank you, thank you. You know, I found myself with these little guys being real clear on not if they made the play, but if they did the right things fundamentally. You know what I mean? They might, they might sail the ball over the third baseman's head, but as long as they caught the ball, recognized where they were to go with it, and tried to make the play, that was laudable, that was praiseworthy. All right, And I found that if they keep that back elbow up instead of swinging up on the ball, or if they run all the way through first base rather than stopping right on the base, if they do the fundamentals, I found myself praising them. Because if you do the fundamentals over and over and over and over again, you begin to get good at it. And that's why we need to study the fundamentals of evangelism. If we praise one another in the spirit, not, not for ego, but because we love the Lord Jesus, if we praise one another for doing the right things over and over and over and over again, it's eventually going to become part of us. It'll become part of our very DNA. Because we did it the right way, we did it over and over and over again the right way, we recognized the concepts and we recognized the commands that it just became second nature. And that's going to be our goal as we talk the next two weeks about the fundamentals of evangelism, to make sure that we get the commands and the concepts down and even if we sail the ball over the third baseman's head in evangelism, we're going to go, you know what? We're going to get him next time. We're going to get him next time. Next time we're going to make the right play again, and we're going to win somebody to Jesus. So we're going to talk today about three different things, a, a command and a concept and a promise about evangelism from Matthew chapter 10, verse 16 and following. We're going to get these things down in our spirit. We're going to ask the Lord to make them real to us so that we can make the right move when the Spirit of God directs us, okay? So here's some fundamentals today. Let's go ahead and look at something Jesus has to say as he's sending his disciples out onto the mission field of evangelism. Verse 16, chapter 10, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, don't be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. There's some good stuff there, some powerful stuff there. there there's some stuff there that we got to get down in our spirit so that we'll, we'll do it the right way and understand that we're doing it the right way. Now, I mentioned to you that this isn't just Jesus sending out his disciples onto the mission field of Israel. Even though he says at the beginning of chapter 10, hey, guys, 
Go just to the towns of Israel. Go just to the, to the towns of, of the people who have the heritage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the promise of the Messiah. Yet right here in the middle of this, uh, this speech, Jesus says, you're going to bear witness, verse 18, second section, bear witness before them and the Gentiles, the non-Jewish folks. So that section that we skipped, that section where he calls out his disciples and then sends them out without bag or without cloak or without extra money, all the stuff that we talked about back in June, you can go back and look at that message from our Essential Trust series. He's going to send them out to the towns of Israel, but now Jesus is widening the scope to begin to talk prophetically. He's letting his disciples know how it's going to be for his church in the world, how it's going to be for all of us who are out on the mission field doing stuff for Christ into the future. And the prescient prophecies of Jesus here in Matthew 10 are astounding. If you were to compare Matthew 10 with what happens to the apostles in Acts, you would go, whoa, Jesus called it. Jesus, Jesus called it. The stuff that happens to Peter and the stuff that happens to John and the stuff that happens to Paul, it, Matthew 10 like, is so clear that, that Jesus knew exactly how it would be. So we have these great prophecies of Jesus that speak directly into every time of Christian history for us to learn this command and this, con this concept and this promise because he's mentioning to the Gentiles, to the Gentiles, to the wider audience, to the, to the folks who aren't just in Israel, he's looking to the future. Now the basic concept here, something that we don't want to miss before we get to the three points of the sermon, is that as we go onto the field and we purposefully engage in evangelism, we will feel vulnerable and perhaps threatened. You will feel vulnerable, and you will feel at, at times threatened. You are going out as sheep among wolves. That's not a good picture, all right? No one wants to be the sheep in the middle of a wolf pack, all right? But that's how Jesus, Jesus says it's going to be. And, 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 and let me just ask you, just, just by raise of hands, uh, ha, ha, how many of you have ever done purposeful, on-purpose evangelism at some point in your life, okay? That, it's it's going to be a majority. As you, did your pulse quicken? D did you feel vulnerable? Were you worried about what was going to happen to you? Sheep among wolves. Why do we feel that way? Well, we feel that way according to Jesus for a very simple reason. Look down again at verse 18. For my sake. For my sake. This is something that Jesus repeats over and over and over again in the book of Matthew. Remember, we saw that all the way back in Matthew chapter 5 when he says, Blessed are you when they persecute you and they come against you and they speak all types of evil against you for my sake or on account of my name. We're going to feel that way because we bear the kingdom with us. We bear Jesus. And he's taking back uh, territory, if you will, from the enemy that, that, that rules this world. Jesus is going to take back territory. So as we speak the name of Jesus, as we move into our communities because we love the Lord Jesus, for the sake of our love of Christ, we're moving into our communities and we're moving in at our, co at our workplaces and we're moving in at our schools and we're moving in at that family gathering and we're being intentional about trying to win people one step closer to Jesus, there, there's going to be opposition because Jesus is for the other team. Jesus is on the other side of what this world likes and is all about. I mean, if we were to think for just a minute about John chapter 3, where Jesus says that the, the, the beautiful verse that all of us know, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. 
He gets on this discourse right after that to Nicodemus, and he says, but, but, but it's going to be really tough because men love darkness rather than light. It's going to be tough. Men love the darkness. They love where they're living today. And so as we go out among, as sheep among wolves, we have to remember we're going out for Christ's sake. Not using that as a swear word. We're going out for the sake of Christ, all right, into the world. And when we bear Jesus, the kingdom bringer, into a world that is opposed to him, things can get tough. Things can get tough. But we got some good things going on here, some good promises, some good concepts, some good fundamentals to, 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 to help us. And the first is this. It's the command that Jesus gives them. And the command is found at the second part of verse 16. After he says you're going to be sheep among wolves, he says, I want you to be wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. Now, I really had to look up what he meant by innocence there. I didn't know in what kind of, of, of uh, part of speech that word innocent was. So my first point to you today is going to be very simple. Just be wise and clean-hearted. That innocence has to do with purity. Doves represent purity. They're white most of the time unless they're doing things on your car, and that's a good thing. But, but, but doves represent purity. They, they, they represent cleanness. All right, so we've got the, the cleanness of a dove, but the craftiness, the, the wisdom of the serpent, the, 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 the animal who is great at self-preservation and outsmarting its opponents. Now, you didn't think that Jesus would call you a snake after, after Genesis chapter 3, did you? But he says, I want you to be as, as crafty, as wise, as thoughtful, as, as planned as that serpent because he's the craftiest of creatures. Now, granted, the disciples are going out to a place of peril that is far greater than any place of peril that we're going out to in the weeks to come. I mean, if you begin to share Christ in your workplace, you might have a boss come and say, hey, don't do that on company time. If, 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 if you invite somebody to your home to watch the Browns game with you this afternoon, as, as you hope that our secondary doesn't give up big play after big play after big play, sorry, a little traumatized, and you invite them to the home, and, and you say to them, you ever, you ever gone to church? And then all of a sudden, they say some horrible, tell you some horrible story about you know, how they were wounded in church and how somebody treated their mom bad, and you're like, well, how do I resurrect this one? You know, it's a different level of peril that, that these folks are going to be in that maybe we're in today, but our aims are the same, and that's why we have to be wise as serpents and, and, and innocent as doves. Our aims are the same. Let me explain what I mean by our aims are the same. I mentioned to you a number of weeks ago that we have missionaries in a very war-torn, predominantly Muslim country. Remember we talked about this back in August? Those missionaries are not proclaiming the gospel with a bullhorn in the town square. That would be silly. They'd get killed. They're not handing out Christian pamphlets. We call them tracts with a T, right? They're not handing out Christian tracts with their address on the back. That wouldn't be very crafty. They have to look at every proclamation of the gospel with wisdom because they want to be available for the next proclamation of the gospel. Because if they are in peril in that country, the gospel is in peril. If they aren't wise in the way they proclaim Jesus, they're not going to get another opportunity. And if there's one misnomer that's come down through Christian history, it's that the noblest thing in the world is to stay in a place of peril and get yourself killed 
rather than to get out of there because you want to have an opportunity to proclaim the gospel again. And if you read the the middle of chapter 10 here, right before verse 16, Jesus says, if you're in a place of peril and people aren't listening to you and it's it's getting yucky, get out of there. Get out. Get out. They lowered Paul down in a basket from a wall, remember. Jesus was not yet ready to die, and he walked through a crowd miraculously at Nazareth before they were about to do him in. You have to remember that there's a next time to preach the gospel. And we have to be wise in our approach because if we put the gospel somehow in peril and we don't get another opportunity, we haven't been very wise. We haven't been very wise. And that's why I say our aims are the same. We might have our missionaries who are in that war-torn, predominantly Muslim country who, if they proclaim the gospel with a bullhorn, are going to get killed. And their aim is to make sure that they have another opportunity to share the gospel tomorrow. Our aim should be the same. I must pick my battles and I must do things well because here in my mission field, I don't want the gospel to get extinguished. I don't want the gospel to get extinguished in my workplace. I'm the one representative of the gospel there. Therefore, I have to be wise. I don't want the gospel to get extinguished with my neighbor who I'm trying to win to Christ. Therefore, my approach should be well thought out. I don't want this discussion about Christ to be the last discussion about Christ. Now, granted, Jesus is very clear. It may just be. If we were to back up in Matthew, just one verse, we would see that there's going to be towns and villages and people who completely reject what we're bringing to them. And that's all right. Sometimes you throw the ball over the head of the third baseman. It might not even be your fault. Maybe the ball was wet. Maybe the third baseman had an undersized glove. We don't know. There's times that people aren't going to come to faith. There's times that it's not going to go well. But our aim is to make sure that in wisdom, we don't get the gospel extinguished because we just charged in headlong without any thought. When I was a sophomore in high school, I had a good friend who was an upperclassman. He'd give me rides places, and that was golden. Because there is nothing cooler than being a 14 or 15-year-old and having an upperclassman who's willing to drive you home from practice. Golden. Now, my youth pastor had been telling me over and over and over again, you got to look for an opportunity to share the gospel. you got to look for an opportunity to share the gospel. you got to look for an opportunity to share the gospel. And I was, I was amped up. I was ready. So one day, he was driving me home, and we were almost to my house, and it was a Wednesday. That's when youth group was. It was on Wednesday nights, and he'd driven me home enough that he knew I went to youth group on Wednesday nights, and he was what I'd call a nun, N-O-N-E-S. He had no Christian background whatsoever, all right? So he looked at me, and he says, that church thing seems to be pretty important to you, huh? Opening. I'm like, Yeah. And for the next 8 to 12 minutes, I unloaded the entire gospel of Jesus Christ on him. All because he'd asked me if church was important. He looked at me as if I was an alien. And I had three heads. I never got another ride. And he avoided me at practice from that point forward. I wasn't very crafty, was I? That wasn't real well thought out. That I'd never spoken to him about my faith and decided I was going to explain substitutionary atonement to him that day. It was poor. And I extinguished the gospel on that day. And my only prayer is that somewhere along the line, somebody who was wiser than me got another hearing with Nick. Because I was not going to get another one. See why we have to be wise? 
We might not be in deadly peril, but if we put ourselves in a position where the gospel can no longer be proclaimed, we haven't operated in wisdom. So let's be sure when we do things that we move according to the voice of the Spirit. And there must also be purity in our motivations. That's the innocent as doves part. Are we doing this for ourselves or are we doing this for Christ? Are we doing it for them or are we doing it because we don't want to have shame that we are not evangelizing? Do we really care about these lost people? There's a fine line between evangelizing because I'm a super Christian and evangelizing because I love Jesus. And I know that some of us have no idea what I'm talking about, but some of the others of us, we've met people who evangelize out of ego. And they have their method and they do it their way and they think everybody else ought to do it their way. And it's not pure. It's ego-driven. Now, I know some of you are sitting there today going, they just got to convince me to do any evangelism, so I don't know about my ego. That's fine. But there are some who they, they, they take the authority that they have in Christ Jesus to share this beautiful message of the kingdom, but they don't do it in purity. They do it out of self-interest. So we got to be careful. These disciples had to be careful because they could heal people the way Jesus healed people. They could cast out demons the way Jesus cast out demons. They could speak from the Spirit the way Jesus spoke from the Spirit. That's authority. And you watch Paul in the book of Acts have to walk this fine line. Are we making sure that we're doing this with the right motivations for these people? Be innocent as doves. Because after all, opportunity awaits. And that's the second point. When things go bad, God is still at work. Look at this horrible picture of verse 17 and 18. Beware of men. For they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. Ow. Ow. Can I just stop for a minute? Ow. Flogging. Somebody, somebody was mean to me. Flogging. Right? In their synagogues. Ow. And you will be dragged, dragged, dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Bad things happening to good people for the sake of Christ. Could you imagine? Could you imagine that there would be a visceral and violent response of a world who has been in bed with the enemy their entire lives, all right? And, 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 and then Jesus comes along. No, break up with the enemy. You have no you have no relationship with with the enemy anymore you break off that close-knit intimate relationship with darkness and walk into the light and everybody's going to go well that sounds good no there's going to be many people who are violently opposed to that type of thing and they're willing to hurt people and they're willing to drag people and in the midst of this when things go bad what does verse 18 tell us God is still at work because that will then give them the opportunity to preach about Jesus before leaders and the Gentiles. It gives them more opportunity to share the faith. When things go bad, God is still at work. See, this is the problem that we often face when we begin to step out and do things for God and, 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 and we do evangelism, as I've said in weeks past, in purpose, on purpose and in pain. And we're going, this is tough, this isn't easy, this is hard. That didn't go well. Nobody responded. That wasn't how I wanted that conversation to go. Ugh, I don't know what to say there. When all of those things happen, God is still at work. Could you imagine a scenario 
where you went into your workplace on Monday and you told somebody about Jesus and the next thing you know, you are flogged for it. And then you're dragged before the boss against your will and you're having the worst day of your life. And God says, view that as an opportunity. View that as an opportunity. I don't know if I love Jesus enough to view that as an opportunity. I might cry out to God just how wrong he did me if that were to happen to me. Jesus gets his church prepped and says, listen, when you go out to evangelize on purpose and in pain, there's going to be pain. But that doesn't mean that God's not there working his purposes. Are you still willing to go? Are you still willing if it gets tough? He's letting us know it's going to get tough, and he's still at work. Years ago, we went on this missions trip to Hungary. It was, it was, it was interesting. It was interesting. It was interesting because most of us who have gone on the mission field from these local North American churches, we go to Latin America, right? We go somewhere to South America, Central America, and the people are very warm and they're very loving. They want to make you food and they, they want to hear the gospel and, and they want your balloon animal. They, they, they want all that. That's all good. Well, then we went to this former communist bloc country and most of us had only known Latin America. And when we got there, we found out the first night that the place that we were going to stay the next night was no longer available to us. We didn't know quite where we were going to stay. And then we ended up going out. We ended up finding a place to stay, and we had a village that we were targeting with our missionary. And we went to that village on the very first day to invite them to all of the ministries we'd had prepared, and we were not met with Latin American warmth. We were met with suspicion and people pretending they weren't at home and people saying, no thank you, in Hungarian, which I don't know how to say that. Melanie might, but I don't. No thank you, we don't want what you're selling. And nobody would engage us. We had all this ministry planned. It was terrifying. Like, we came halfway around the world to a village that we were told would be prepped and primed for the gospel, and they won't even come outside to meet us. We had bookmobiles and, and, and baseball clinics and, and Jesus movies to show. No response. So we didn't know what to do. Well, they had had a storm. So we went to the local soccer field and decided that we would pick up the branches that had fallen on the local soccer field because no one was responding to us, so we might as well clean up in the village. So we spent, I don't know, 45 minutes, hour and 15 minutes just cleaning up the soccer field, and by the time we were done, three teenage girls meandered onto the field and began to talk to us and say, what are you doing here? And we found out in short order that one of the reasons that that nobody was answering the door was because when people had come to their village previously and knocked on their door, their, their cohort had gone to the back door and began to rob them blind. And, and there was suspicion about outsiders. But just a few days later, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of kids at our baseball camp. There are people walking into the doors of a church to watch a film about a Jesus who they've never heard of. There's people sitting around the fire asking the deep questions about pain and suffering and a loving God and getting answers to the first time from the greatest questions of the human heart. We thought for just a moment that everything had gone bad 
until everything had gone good. So just when you think it's over, and it's not working, and it's too tough, and you've, you've taken your vacation to go to Hungary to have people stare at you out the window but not answer the door, God is still at work. We've got to remember this. It's a fundamental of evangelism. Things will go bad, but God is still in charge. Last thing today, last thing to bring up to you, something that's very powerful, and it's that we must listen before we speak. How many of you, your greatest fear is public speaking? Is that a few of you in the room? Imagine for just a minute, you mingled your greatest fear with your second greatest fear. Public speaking and speaking to people about Jesus. Because I don't know about you, but, but, but there's a lot of people who are afraid to say the name of Jesus, to talk about the gospel, to talk about that which they, which they sing about here in church. It's terrifying to think about talking about your faith with a non-Christian. Well, Jesus is saying there might be the opportunity for you to do that in front of a crowd. Imagine that. But once again, Jesus is letting them know there's going to be these opportunities that come when you think everything has gone bad and you get found in a situation that you would have never wished to be in and you're going to have the opportunity or never even planned to be in. You're going to be dragged somewhere you don't want to go. That ever happened to you in conversation? I got dragged to a place I don't want to go. And Jesus says when that moment comes that you are in a place to, to speak about me for my sake, and you don't know what you ought to say, the Holy Spirit will say it for you. You don't have to worry about that moment. He'll be there. I'll be with you in that right exact moment to say exactly what needs to be said. Do you believe that? Do you believe that if you put yourself out there and you engage and, and, and that neighbor who's sitting there watching Justin Herbert carve up the Browns is sitting there and, and he says, I was hurt in the church, and I, I'm, I'm cool calling myself a Christian, but I have no use for the church anymore. And you go, I am ill-equipped to have that conversation. I just wanted to invite him over so he knew I loved him and maybe invite him to church someday. And you go, I don't have anything to say to that guy. Jesus says the Holy Spirit will speak for you. When that moment comes that you're not ready. When somebody does look at you, and, and, and believe me, this will happen to some of us, we will put ourselves, we'll begin to pray for the lost, we'll begin to pray for our harvesters in the field, we'll begin to pray that God will use us, and somebody will look at you, and they will give you a real opportunity and say, well, tell me about what you believe. <gasps> this is the moment, right? This is the moment that you get to share it, and your pulse will quicken, and you'll think, what do I share? Do I share that testimony? Do, do I share the Romans road? What do I share? The Holy Spirit will give it to you in that moment. What to share? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Will you rely on that? Or will you rely on your perfectly crafted, crafted rhetoric for the moment that you have the opportunity? I got reminded of this just the other day. Good friend of mine told me that she was witnessing to someone and she had got him to start reading through the Bible. She told him all about Jesus, she told him all about salvation, told him all about salvation. But as he read through the Bible, he was having 
problems with the Old Testament God. You ever heard this type of thing? Like, there's some problematic pictures of God in the Old Testament, and this is what he was struggling with, you know? He, he didn't know how that Old Testament God could be loving compared to Jesus, and he was having an emotional disconnect as he read through the scriptures. So she said, will you talk to him? And I'm like, yeah. In all of my pride, all of my ego, all of my not innocence, all of my non-dove-like pride, I thought, yeah, I will. I am uniquely equipped to talk about problematic images of God in the Old Testament. Got seven years of degrees sitting behind my name. Bring them to me. So I was at this gathering with people, and I was having a good time. And I have to be honest, just in that moment, I had to make a decision whether or not I was going to engage this fella in conversation. He hadn't been told, hey, Matthew's coming, and he's going to fix all your problems with, with the Old Testament. That hadn't been said. It was somebody who's being wise. But I knew that if I had a moment, he would want to talk about it. So all these folks were gathered, and I thought, I'm having a great time, but I know that there's somebody over there who's close to coming to know Jesus, so I'm going to leave my great time behind, and I'm going to go talk to this fella. So we began to talk, and it got to be a half an hour, and then an hour, then an hour and a half, and he's just laying out everything he saw in the Old Testament that he had a problem with, and I was so grateful for the training that I had to go bit by bit, moment by moment with this fella through some of these issues that he was having. And all of a sudden, I don't know if it was an hour, hour and a half in, he stood up out of his chair and began to pace. And he asked me a question I'd never been asked before. And my pulse quickened. My eyes must have widened. And I thought, I have no idea what to say. Prideful, ego-driven, idiot pastor has never heard that one before. And for the first time, that whole conversation, and I mean this honestly before you, Lord, forgive me. I said, God, help me. God, help me. What have I been doing for an hour and a half? God, help me. And what flowed out of my mouth in the next 20 seconds was one of the most wise things that has ever flowed out of my mouth. And it wasn't from me. And I have no idea what I said. I mean it. I don't know. I don't remember what I said. I remember I started with, but what if God? And I, don't, not, I didn't blank out. I didn't lay on the floor, slain in the spirit. I, I didn't, I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you that the Holy Spirit spoke. And all of a sudden, he went. And our conversation was over. For the first time in that conversation, the Holy Spirit had spoke. And I'm not saying the rest of it was a waste of time. And I'm not saying the training and all the people who poured into me to answer his questions were a waste. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that I did not rely on the Holy Spirit. And the moment I did, everything changed. Everything changed. Everything changed. Three weeks ago, I got the text from my friend. 
he's given his life to Jesus. And I thought, yes! The idiot Old Testament guy played his part and almost missed it. Almost missed it because he didn't know the fundamentals. I almost let the ball roll between my legs because I didn't get my glove in the dirt and say, Holy Spirit, help me. It was interesting conversation until the Holy Spirit spoke. And I'm not going to tell you that sealed the deal. Someone else reeled in that fish. Can I be honest with you? Someone else led him to Jesus. I just played a small part in moving him one step closer. But it wasn't until the Holy Spirit spoke that we had a conversation that mattered. Don't worry about what you're going to say. He'll speak for you. It's part of the fundamentals of faith. One of you is going to get to use that this week. You're going to say, God, I don't know what to do. Help me. And he's going to speak. And you'll know what we've talked about here is true. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord Jesus, you are worth it. We will go because you are worth it. We'll go for your sake. What you have done, what we sang about today, the fact that you've given us joy, as the psalmist says, beauty for ashes, the fact that you have been a faithful God in our darkest nights, and that beautiful picture that you sacrificed yourself on our behalf so that we could be drawn to God. Lord Jesus, you are worth it. As we go and as we proclaim your name, help us to remember that you're worth it. But Lord, help each one of us to do it in wisdom. Help us to use our unique gifts and talents to share you with people and in ways that make sense, that are wise. Not to feel that we have to do it the way brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so does it, but to do something for your kingdom and for your glory and in wisdom. Lord Jesus, help us not to quit at the first sign of trouble. When things get hard, help us not to look for the silver lining. Help us to look for you, for you are there. You are there. And finally, Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn your voice. Help us to recognize that, Jesus, when you died to save us from our sins, when you made us righteous before God by your blood, you made it possible for the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, not beside us, in us. And that means that every one of us can hear from and speak from you, regardless of training, background. We all can speak from you. Help us to be bold enough to rely on that. Lord, I pray this very week that we'll experience some of what we've talked about today for your kingdom, for your glory, and for your name. In that name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, would you stand today? There's donuts, coffee, and praying go in the lobby. Make sure you get one of them.
Hope you have a wonderful week this week. Sorry for speaking negativity over the Browns. I'm hoping for a win. And I do pray that you get to use what we've talked about this very week as God uses you wherever you're at. God bless you.